what is anger to a star? Their lowest amount of whims would just wipe us off of the, like, existence. That's a good place to start. So anyway, I was still in these lounge chairs. I know how you feel. <laughs> Actually killed his best friend. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I was like, I'm talking about a lizard, man. Tricked some guys into blowing him, I guess. And then like, the whole thing sounds like a bad time. There it is. Welcome to the next episode of Discoursers. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> yes. We are back with another episode. I am Joey Deloach, your host, blah, blah, blah. Same dude, same bat time. And today I have Bradley Butler, who is, hold on, let me pull up my paper. I had a whole Oh, wait, did you do research on me? No, I'm just, I just wrote some shit down. <laughs> Apparently it was uh, afraid of the dock when he was five years old. Yeah, so I see that here. Um, uh, he argues for a living. He's a nerd scholar. And he was a little late because he just got back from delivering the One Ring to Mordor. It's true. Uh, it Bradley was a, Butler. <laughs> it was a relatively simple trip. I just went to one of the state agencies. They have like their own little Mount Dooms in each one. It's weird. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, portable Mordors. Exactly. Okay. It's the only way we can get shit done in the state. <laughs> it is Florida. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think if there was a representation of hell... It basically is Florida. It all goes back to perception. Like, it's just so goddamn hot here all the time. And it's just going to get hotter as climate change goes on. I don't know. I don't see I don't see hell as, like, just hot. I see hell as, like, Oklahoma, where it's just nothing. Where it's just flat. Just forever. It's eternal. You know what I mean? And, like, no matter how far you go, it still looks exactly the same. And you're like, oh, my God. Am I literally just going around a circle of a hell planet? Ooh, that would like if that if the entire planet was Oklahoma, that would be an interesting hell. I feel like that it's just endless expanses of nothingness. But I mean, like again, it it really is all perception because the endless expanses of nothingness could really just be like a cityscape. Like if you just hate that sort of shit, if you like the rural outdoor nothingness, maybe that's freedom to you. I like the rural rural areas. Mm-hmm. I like forests and shit like that. I just don't like nothing. Mm. Just nothing. <laughs> Fuck, when I was in Minnesota, I watched a thunderstorm hammer a city from like 40 miles away. Whew. 50 miles away or some ridiculous shit. You could see the clouds right above the city. It looked like a cartoon. Damn. You know what I mean? And then the place was just getting hammered. And it was just a blue, sunny sky where I was at. Hmm. It was wild. Hmm. Yeah, I don't want yeah, to live in places like this. Too flat, too boring. Yeah. Too boring. And no offense to anybody in Oklahoma listening to this. You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> but whatever. Ah, I mean, it, you've got a lot of nothing, true. But that also is a lot of area to build something new or build something different. Like, you've got... What, what was Las Vegas before they decided to put a whole bunch of lights Fucking in the middle of the desert? desert. Yeah. 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 This is true. I just don't see a lot of people moving to the middle of the country for those things mm. unless the coast I mean you're looking like a hundred years if the mm. coast got like really packed <laughs> the coast of Oklahoma the coast of Oklahoma yeah <laughs> beachfront territory in Utah we need to start buying properties based on the water levels just because we know there's going to be some sort of effect from climate change maybe it's not going to be the worst effects that we're seeing or it could be like we're pretty right. fucking dumb but it has been shown that the oceans are rising sure like sure. that's a we're already going to have the sunken city of Miami. I think that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. 
It's going to be worse than Venice or better. Fuck, I'm going to go ahead and write the tome. That way I can hide it in a box. And then when people find it later, like a 2,000 years, they're going to be like, oh, it's a lost city. And then they're going to find this tome. And they're going to know all about Miami, about how Scarface was the king. <laughs> Scarface was the king yeah, of Miami. Yeah, Scarface was the king of Miami. I'm pretty and sure LeBron James was the king of Miami for a few years. He didn't do enough coke. Uh-huh. Not for Miami. Uh-huh. He's probably done some coke, but not enough. You got to have mountains of that shit. Like, really run Miami. Uh, there was a basketball player. I can't remember who it was because, and that would be perfect if I remember his name, but I was reading a Reddit post where he legitimately did worse in cities that had good strip clubs. Ha! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Somebody did that math. Yeah. Somebody sat down and went, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. And they did the whole math. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's a weird thing between applied mathematics and theoretical mathematics. Mm-hmm. Because, like, theoretical mathematics, you're basically saying, we don't know if this exists, so we're going to just pretend it does. Yeah. Here's a weird symbol to represent this random thing that we don't really know what it is. Yeah. Basics of mathematics was originally counting, and then we started getting into infinities. And I think somewhere along the way, we, we started developing more of, like, a philosophy of math than just, like, a, a strict computational. Not necessarily wrong. I mean, we really have to get into philosophies when you're getting that deep in things but like it's weird when you get into some of the deeper maths you think the first person who ever mentioned the word eternity as far as math they just bludgeoned him to death (laughs) (laughs) he just goes hey guys what about just numbers they just go on forever and somebody's like we're almost to the end we're almost to the end and they just smash him in the head shut the fuck up we were almost done oh god (laughs) you know I mean that, that reminds me of so you know that the reason why Hong Kong was given back to China was because the the people who made the contract for between uh, Great Britain and China the the guy thought 99 years was just such a large number it would never happen right <laughs> a lot of a lot of Christians are like that though mm. they can't conceive of 99 years because they always think Jesus was coming back in like five years or ten years or whatever so like 99 years who gives a shit j Dog's coming back, and he's going to handle everything, and I'm just going to disappear, and all the other sinners will be left here to deal with whatever's left over. I mean, that's what happens when you die. Like, literally, the second coming of Jesus can literally just be, okay, when you die, you see Jesus. That's his second coming. That's the second time you get to see him. Oh, by the way, now he's going to judge you on all of the bullshit you've done. Did you help the poor? <laughs> were, were you a good person? Were mm. you kind? Did you forgive your neighbors? Oh, no. You voted for Trump? Fuck. Well, it's almost as if it was based on another god that would uh, weigh out a feather and a soul. Huh. Hmm. Weird. Huh. That was Osiris. Strange. Anubis? Anubis? He was a god of death. I know that. I don't know if he was the judgment god. Yeah, because I think Osiris was the god of the underworld. Hmm. Okay. So there was overlap between... I mean, there's a lot of overlap between a lot of ancient religions... Because they've got so many different things that each one needs to, to figure out. Because ancient religions really were just the ancient civilization's first ways of trying to figure out the motions of the world. Hmm. You've got the sun god because the sun comes up, it makes plants grow. Obviously that's god. Then we devolved into dogma, which just basically says, you know, the sun makes plants grow. <laughs> we get 90% of the energy in like the 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 entire world from 
the sun in one way or another, whether it's through plants. Now we've got solar panels so we can get actual like direct energy, Mm -hmm. but like all of the energy coming into our internal system is coming from that external source. Right. Like we, we call it radiation, but like radiation is just such a big term when you really like back it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time it's just overdosing on radiation. It's bad. The radiation itself is not bad for a lot of times. Some of it is. And even in small doses. Yeah. But a lot of it's just passing through us on an everyday basis. So. Pretty much. That's All right. So speaking of uh, going around in circles, <laughs> you argue for a living. I do. I do. I, I argue for a living mostly. Uh, I mean, most of the time I'm not actually arguing with people. We're at best. We're writing things down. So should I go into actually what I do? Yeah. yeah go for All it, right. Yeah. So I'm an attorney for. The Agency for Healthcare Administration. I can't get into details on certain things because of confidentiality. All right, we'll podcast over. Fuck it. <laughs> what I can say is that, like, lawyers are a weird bunch in general. Like, they're, I've seen at least three different kinds of lawyers, and I'm sure there's, like, dozens of kinds, but, like, three major groups. There are the, the theoretical ones, which are basically law school professors. They really get into the weeds with it. They think about, like... What is the philosophy of law? How do we, like, what are we doing with law? Like, why, why do we have laws? What is the criminal justice system for? What are torts for? What are contracts for? And it really gets into the weeds, which is interesting shit, and I love it. But I'll never be a law professor because I didn't go to Harvard, Yale, or any top 12 law school. Because mm. that's one of the things that they, they don't tell you until you're in law school, is that, well, every law school is about the same because they're all taught by the people from the same 12 schools basically the only way you'll ever be a professor is if you either a it's at your alma mater so like you can probably get a job at the place you went to law school right or b you went to harvard yale columbia one of the top 12 or top 14 schools Mm -hmm. and they fill out an exorbitant amount of faculty even in like tier four law schools because every tier four law school there's four tiers of law schools. First tier, like the best, obviously, and mm-hmm. the fourth tiers are the ones that probably shouldn't be law schools. But right, like, right. everybody better call Saul kind of place. It's yeah, a, everybody's got to start yeah. somewhere. They teach more practical than theory because they're the type of law schools where if they don't produce somebody who's actually going to be a good lawyer, then they're not going to have a job. Right. That theoretical side is so interesting, especially to me, because it's just things that you can think about. Like mm-hmm. some of the best discussions that you can have about law is on that theory side, but it's not represented in the legal job field. And you've got two types of career lawyers. You've got the litigators, the ones who actually go into court and argue. And then you've got the transactional lawyers who they do arguing as well, but they, they argue in meetings with other lawyers. Closed door. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll argue over contract negotiation or sometimes they don't even talk to anybody else and they just have to, they get inputs from from somebody, whether it's from an agency or from a client, mm-hmm. and they turn that input into some sort of written record. And now it's coming from a lawyer, so it's got a little bit more force from it. Right. Like the 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 lawyer's greatest tool isn't the lawsuit; it's the letter. Mm. You get a letter from a lawyer, suddenly you you start thinking about it. It's it's right there, and and it's got your full attention. Right. And and most legal actions end at that stage they don't get into the lawsuit stage right not not that our courts could support it if we had as many lawsuits as are probably necessary 
but that's why we've got like arbitration and mediation mm-hmm. and uh, a very strong push, especially in the federal sector toward arbitration and mediation, which is uh, basically outside of court, but there's an, either an arbitrator or a mediator. An arbitrator is... So new- is this one of the three you were talking about? Well, three I mean... Three types the, of lawyers. The three really are the, the theaticians, the, the professors and all of them, mm-hmm. the litigators, mm-hmm. and the transactional ones. Gotcha. Okay. Like, those are your three main types. The litigators are forces of personality. They're, they're much less... They, met, they deal much less with, like, the intricacies of law because a lot of times they either are arguing from a very uh, emotional center, mm-hmm. an emotional place, and, and that's usually where a lot of litigation happens, where you're going to see it most is probably in the criminal justice system. So if you've ever watched the, the trial of O.J. Simpson or right. the Derek Chauvin child, the trial. The glove does not fit. You must acquit. Yes. <laughs> like, they have to connect with people. And so you really can't connect with people in just a logical way. Mm, I mean, yeah. how often were you so connected with math in, 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 in like when you were in school? Indeed. Yeah. I mean, if you're, say you're, for example, you're talking to a woman, you want to ask her on a date and you'd be just very logical about it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not gonna. You and me, we would make beautiful babies. Yeah. Yeah. They would be so perfect. Listen, I was sitting over here on this bench and <laughs> I happened to witness you coming by and realized that your aesthetic pleasantness is quite alluring. Mm, yes. And I believe that we would make a good mating couple. Uh, perhaps we could practice some in the beginning. Yeah. You know, to see how it goes. Sure, sure. And then perhaps graduate later to actual procreation. That's an interesting idea. Uh, and just so that you know that I'm, I'm coming at this uh, completely logically, I uh, got a computer program and I took both of our pictures and I merged them and this is what our babies would look like. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flawless algorithms. Ah, absolutely. Flawless. So that doesn't seem to work with people most of the time. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> so, I mean, so litigators are both... I mean, they've got to be forces of personality. You've got to trust yourself before anybody else will trust you. And you have to believe in what you're doing before anybody else will believe you. Which is what makes them also great liars. I mean... If so, they, when, need, when needed. Yes. I mean, and that's why it attracts such a high percentage of sociopaths. Mm. Because they believe everything they say, even if it's a complete lie. Right. Hmm. I mean, it's, I, it's a natural job for a sociopath. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of natural jobs for sociopaths. Like, business is, is fantastic for sociopaths, because if you don't care about how you make money, you can make a lot of goddamn money. Engineer. Uh, not engineers, just an engineer. Just yeah. the one engineer that I know. <laughs> More like a social <laughs> engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. So, uh, where are you at on the, that three scale? What do you do? Transactional... You see, I want to be a theatician because I love that side of it, but mm. I can't ever be a theatician. Right. So I thought I'll go in the transactional side, and and I did a little a lot of transactional stuff. I kind of did. So I started in I I uh, out of law school. I started working for the House of Representatives, and that was fun because I was an analyst on one of the sub subcommittees. I was in nominally a objective role, but every one of my bosses was much more nominally in a political role. Mm-hmm. I was officially like when you work in the house, you are hired and work at the pleasure of the speaker of the house, which is a political role. 
It's the, the right now it's being held by a Republican, Chris Sprouse. He actually comes from my alma mater, Stetson. Great guy. Um, but if you're you're in an objective role, you still have to answer to a chain of command that is very political in nature. Mm-hmm. Like uh, part of me was okay with that, but part of me grinded against it because while my bosses were very, very forward about they wanted my objective opinions, they wanted they they didn't put their hands in like my analysis. Mm-hmm. They gave me a lot of free form. At the same time, a lot of the, the 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 places that you would go to get this support are going to be lobbied interests who have very specific ideas of what they want. Right. And the only reason that those lobbyists are getting so much like uh, support for these bills is because the the representatives are. I mean, I I don't think it's direct bribery, but it's pretty damn close. It's, yeah, it's just enough to skirt the law. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is they go to the edge of the law and they're what they do is technically legal, whether it's moral or not. I mean, that's a that's a much different question. But right. the law is not about morality. The law is about a set level of instructions that we all agree to. Really, it's a sociopathic thought if you think about it. Was it ethics? I mean, there is ethics mm-hmm. and there is some ethics built into the law. But at the end of the day, a lot of laws come down to. If you're just at the edge of the law, what you're doing is legal. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not going to the edge of the law, your competitors are going to be going to the edge of the law and then you're going to be at a disadvantage. Right. Indeed. So it's it's a complicated morass of good intentions, bad intentions, and some people want to do the right thing. Like uh, on both sides of the aisle. Right. There are a lot of people who want to do the right thing but who are forced to do things that they might not particularly like, but have to do in order to maintain their position. Right. You got to play the game. Yeah. You got to play it's the like game. I had to make my face the logo of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, like, I didn't want to do it. I'm serious. You didn't. I despised it. Sure. I, I really didn't want to do it. But for this podcast, it was just like, well, it's just me. There's nobody else. And it so, makes sense. And it's just a personality type of thing that you got to put out there for marketing and all this other shit. And then... That's how you play the game. Mm-hmm. It also, like, uh, the, the, the whole Superman argument. You can't trust somebody who's got a mask on. If they can't look you in the face, mm-hmm. they don't know who you are. Superman never wore a mask. Exactly. That's why you could trust Superman. Oh, But you gotcha. couldn't trust Batman. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah, they still had no idea who he was. That's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like, that would not fly modern days because you have facial recognition software pick you up in 30 seconds. Yeah, you'd figure, like, the, the whole technology uh, the whole technology of the DC Universe is way beyond ours. Oh, yeah. So how, how do they not have that? Well, like, in some comics... You think he does, like, Flash, where he, like, slightly vibrates? Yes. But that uh, would also kind of, like, bring up other questions. Like, are you doing that at all times, Clark Kent? Because they obviously know who Clark Kent is. Right. They've got his facial structure. And, like... The fact that he's never had health insurance, but also never had any diseases or medical history. Like, you could probably find Superman nowadays just by, you know, checking Facebook. He doesn't have a vaccine record. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. Never once has that needle punctured his skin. Yeah, which means that he's never had a passport. Yep. But he's a journalist. I think he was just supposed to be sports, wasn't he? Like, local sports. 
honestly don't But then he would catch that. some other stories every now and then as far as the character. Yeah, because Lois was definitely the, the beat reporter. She always had the right. best stories. Yeah, she had the scoops. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy mm. worked for her, basically. Jimmy was the bitch boy. Yeah. Go but... get us donuts. <laughs> Jimmy was introduced so they didn't have to keep putting Lois in danger. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Oh, we can put another person in danger. It's not a woman. It's another of the weaker of the species. A redhead. <laughs> he has no soul, so yeah. Superman must save it. Exactly. Even people with no souls deserve to live. Oh, gosh. So you were, uh, so you were working in the, the house mm-hmm. with transactional? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a little bit transactional because it's more transactional. Than, there is no litigation in the house. I never argued a position. With anybody. My entire job was to listen, 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 calculate as much as I could, and then produce an objective analysis of the bills. Mm-hmm. And to the best of my ability, I did so. Sometimes, though, that was not always the what was necessarily desired by the people who read those analysis. Because ultimately, what my analysis was was to inform the legislators, right. which they didn't need information. They rarely read any of my analysis. The, 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 the dirty secret is that, the, the dirty open secret, every bill that's going to pass, they know is going to pass before they ever bring it up for a vote. Right. So I don't ever actually write an analysis on anything that's not even heard by a committee. Mm. If it's going to be heard by a committee, one of two things has happened. Either it's already going to pass because they already have the votes and they know it's going to pass, so they mm. bring it up on committee to let it pass, or... They want to prove that it can't pass, and so it'll get pulled up on one committee so that they can have all of that firestorm and show, hey, this isn't ready. At the same time, like that's also sometimes like how you test the waters and how you get worse and worse and worse laws, because like it's like maybe we can get this through. How much of an uproar is it really going to cost? Yeah, I'm sure we can buy off this guy. He'll vote for it. With, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll vote for one of his bills if he votes for this or whatever, and then... Oh, no, no. <laughs> it always is top-down. Mm. Especially, well, see, that's the thing is, politics is supposed to be a coming together of ideas and representatives to all sort of have an argument, but that's not what it is. It's top-down, you're told what you need to do, and if you don't do it, you don't get funding for the next election. Right. And if you don't have funding for the next election, somebody else will replace you, or you'll get uh, primaried from your own party. So it, there's a, a, a strong incentive to always stay with what the top of the pack is doing. Right. And the top of the pack, I mean, honestly, they're kind of tied to what the party in general is doing, because they're supposed to be the ones who are laying the groundwork for everybody below them. So even if they don't believe in it, I mean, that's what you see in the Republican Party right now is this top-down approach. Every single one of those people in the Republican Party knows that Trump lost that election. Mm-hmm. But how many of them are actually saying that? Like Liz Cheney and everybody hates her because she's going against the narrative. Right. They know right. it's a lie. Every one of them I think they pretty much accepted it at this point. They've even the even the normal everyday Republican that was like hardcore Republican or whatever they've accepted it. They've moved on, like that thing. But I get your example mm-hmm. of the top down. I think there are some outliers. Uh, there are some that that don't really stick into a, a group. Like as much as you hate them or like them, Ted Cruz, uh, DeSantis down here. There's a couple of them that they just like 
stray just a little bit every now and then, and that's why they get noticed more. It's because they're because a lot of the Republicans you don't even know who the fuck they are in these in these fucking states. Like I have no idea who most of the if they're Republicans if they are the governor of the state or whatever. The only ones I know are like Governor Newsom, you know, <laughs> uh, fucking Ted Cruz and DeSantis and like shit like that. True. You know, that's always poking themselves kind of outside the party a little bit. True. And I, and I think that depending on where your sources of support are coming from, you have the power to be more of an outlier like that. Right. But let's look at DeSantis as an example. And I don't want to talk too much about him because right. technically he's my boss. And he's a great boss. I love him as a boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he his support came when he appealed to President Trump. And when he was running against Adam Putnam in the Republican primary, mm-hmm. Adam Putnam, I knew who Adam Putnam was when I was working in the house. He was the agriculture secretary, like he, he, or the commissioner of agriculture, excuse me, which is a huge position in Florida. I mean, that's where Nikki Fried is. And, and the fact that she's a Democrat is a, a, like a thorn in the spine of so many statewide Republicans. Mm. But Adam Putnam was a great guy. He was just, he, he was a congressman at one point. He became the commissioner of agriculture he basically had the perfect resume to be governor, and he got sideswiped by DeSantis because DeSantis was able to pull support from a different source than the traditional Republican sources. Mm. So Adam Putnam doesn't go off message. DeSantis goes off message, message, gets Donald Trump to support him and push him a little bit, and suddenly he wins the Republican primary, and he's the governor of Florida. Right. So it's like there's, there's, there's different games that are played, and when you look at it from a game playing perspective, yeah. But that's just teamwork, man. <laughs> that's just teamwork making the dream work. It's, it is teamwork, but like when the team is, is fighting a, a battle to like, I don't know. This, what's the best way to put this? There are, there are, there are tactics and there are strategy. Mm-hmm. Your tactics can be very dependent upon your strategy and your strategy can be very dependent on your tactics. Mm-hmm. If we look at this in a sports analogy, you've got overarching strategies in football of certain types of offenses that are good, and then you've got on-the-field tactics of like, well, we want to give it to the running back because he's a fantastic running back. Right. We want to throw it to the wide receiver because he's a fantastic wide receiver. When we take this into a political arena the overall strategies are probably way more important than the tactics, but the tactics also define what strategies you're allowed to go through. Mm. So a lot of the problem with Republicans is they don't have any tactics that they won't use. Right. In, in, in a lot of the, and in, let's be fair, the, there are some Democrats or a lot of Democrats that also feel the same way. They think that no matter what tactics they use it's okay so long as their strategy it's for the greater good exactly or whatever and and i think that's that's the a horrible way of looking at it because mm-hmm. it it allows bad things to happen for good and is that really for good if you're letting bad things happen yeah that's a question that's the the trolley mm-hmm. question i guess yeah. or the can you could you shoot one child in the head to save a 100 yeah. children and i mean i yeah. think I think you really can define a lot of Republican thought or a lot of right-leaning thought in if they don't make a choice, they aren't responsible for it. It's not their sin if they don't get involved. Mm. 
and I think that's the your, your, your trolley problem, they'll always say, or a lot of them will say, as long as I don't personally make any choices, it's not my sin, it's not on me. It sucks that 15 people, 5 people die. Right. But I didn't make a choice, and therefore it's not my sin. But at the tr- same point, like, omitting, failing to make a choice or not making a choice is a choice. Yes, absolutely. And too many people look at that and go, well, then what should I have done? I mean, you save as many people as you can. And like, sometimes people are going to like not be saved. But that's an, that's an over, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that that's an overwhelming majority of people that believe that nowadays that have that mentality. It's very shut off from, it's very anti-empathy, anti-true empathy in a way, mm-hmm. you know, and it closes people off from each other. Yeah. No, I mean, and you're not wrong. There's a lot of, lack of empathy and I mean in history there's obviously a lack of empathy Mm -hmm. we are very violent to each other as a species we have committed wars after wars after wars there is not a, a a period of time in history that is not defined by the wars around it everyone was gonna say apathy yeah apathy is and I started I started to see it years ago too when I was an EMT is that some people just they didn't want to deal with it? Mm-hmm. They just they totally didn't want to deal with. It. They didn't do CPR. Or they called the cops, but they stood like twenty feet away. Mm-hmm. You know, shit like that. Even though this person's like obviously fucking bleeding out, like you at least do something. Use your fucking shirt, anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's gotten worse. Particularly, I'm gonna go with social media on mm-hmm. this for disconnecting people because that disconnect causes that apathy. It's like if you can't really connect with someone, why would you give a shit? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think social media is a lot to blame for that, but it's also, in a weird way, our own fault. We, ha- I yeah. mean, we created social media the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Like we have pushed into that. We have bought into it. We've bought. They gave in- us what we wanted. Yeah, we we created. Uh, what was it? Uh, a generation of people who wanted to be stars, and then we just sold them the ability to to pretend to be something. Uh, on online, but it's not the truth. It's the newest farce of the American dream. Ooh. And I would say face of the American dream, but the newest farce of the American dream. That's an interesting, I like that. That's they, a good... It changes, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's being the Rolling Stones, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, or sometimes it's being Prince, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's be a TikTok star, or a YouTube star, yeah. or have the biggest podcast in the world, or whatever the fuck it is. Nobody wants to be an actor or an actress anymore. They're no longer the glamorous. We're not... We don't have 90% of people going to the movies. Right. Mm-hmm. In 2020, we had 0% of people going to the movies. I'm yeah. actually quite loving the fact that a lot of these actors are going to have to strap down and not live in secluded areas, like way the fuck away from everybody. They're going to have to come back into society. They're not going to have... They're going to run out of money. Because, I mean, the movies were always going. Hollywood was mm-hmm. always going. Mm-hmm. And now it just... Arr- and it stopped. And they had very expensive bills. Yeah. But, very. But it really just accelerated something that was already happening in the move to the small screen. And like yeah. streaming services mm. like definitely benefited from 2020. Yeah. But even then they had major production though. I mean they still have a lot of major production. I mean I think that's the reason why Netflix got so deep into the scene when it did. Because they knew that was the next era was short form production. And, he, and you see a lot of, like, really uh, actors for, to, who are in it to act uh, 
was that like no just keep going yeah yeah actors who are in it to act want short form production because it gives them more time to actually perform and actually act uh movies are what two hours long they 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 threw a cow because avengers was three right but then again the the snyderverse version of justice league was four hours and it was a better movie than the two-hour version way better way better and I think that that move towards short-form production has been a boon for the acting industry. Yeah, there are very few movies that don't have plot holes because of the time mm-hmm. frame that you have to tell a story. Except for Back and, to the Future, no the, plot holes. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, in, in other great movies like Rose, the Rosebud movie or whatever, uh, Citizen Kane, and, yeah, Citizen Kane, anything like that. Like there's there's <laughs> no plot holes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's tight. And those are the things that are great. Godfather, I'm sure there's probably a couple tiny ones in there. Sure. But those, it's because they didn't have any plot holes. They used that time appropriately mm-hmm. and didn't. Now, but most movies are just like, yeah, 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 we don't have to worry about that point. Whatever, just, just, just move on to the next thing, throw some CGI in it, it'll be fine. You know? I mean, I think there's... But people know that there's plot holes there. Yeah. They're quite aware. I mean, I think there's, there's two levels of plot holes. There's the... The logical plot holes and the logical plot holes. Like, there are certain things that you're going to skip, and even the best movies, because, like, nobody needs to, to know how somebody took a shit or, or drove to, uh, to a place. We can jump scenes. Says you. <laughs> Fuck you. I'll have to watch 20 minutes of a movie of some dude taking a shit. I mean, that's obviously Oscar-worthy. If you can Indeed. spend 20 minutes taking a shit and making it entertaining. It'll be dubbed in French, too. Absolutely. Black and white. <laughs> Oh gosh, that reminds me of a of a critical role skit that Travis Willingham did, where his character went into a uh, a fucking shitter so he could talk to his sword, and it was probably one of the funniest things <laughs> I ever watched. A man role playing, taking a shit, talking to a sword. Indeed. We don't have movies like that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we ever did. I don't know. Monty Python might have done something like that. That would have been fantastic. Yeah. I could see them doing that. Yeah. I think... Uh, fucking... Speaking of fucking Dungeons and Dragons, I play a monk... You do. ...who's a bird. <laughs> and his name is Birdly. He's a fantastic Birdly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're the fucking DM. And that's fucking awesome. It's, it's a Dude, lot of you, fun. You kill it. Yeah. How are you enjoying so far D&D? Are you, are you uh, a convert now? Or are you going to be playing D&D for the rest of your life? Oh, I had played before. Oh, that's I think true. I told you. Yeah, I played like three games okay. or something like that. I mean, the first two just fell the fuck apart. Like a lot of games, just it just happens. People, just one person stops showing up, the next person, and mm-hmm. so sooner or later, that's it. Yeah, that was my first two. I uh, completed the last one with the with the gladiatorial combat fighter or whatever that was into showing off basically and stealing from people. And uh, yeah, we finished that one out. So then this one's a totally different character for me. Most of my other characters were like very brash mm-hmm. and very like fuck you and talking shit to monsters while I'm mm-hmm. fighting them the whole time and everything. Like, it's <laughs> so like the mirror of your personality. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Talking I, shit and fucking with people. Oh, yeah. I, I do see that a lot. And I think that's a it's a very common thing is like the first couple characters you're going to make in D&D are yourself. And then the best characters you make just take an aspect of your personality and then put it in like a different pot of soil and let it grow and see what happens i feel like that's what you're starting to do with birdly like i I see definitely aspects of your personality yeah but it's different it's very different it's not my current personality but the personality that i would like to test out to see if i want 
Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I can build a whole being mm-hmm. off of these events and their choice, choices from the events mm-hmm. and then go, well, that didn't work out. I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't do that <laughs> or spend all that time doing that. Or I'll go like, oh, you know, step one through three was pretty cool. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. You know? Do you think it's more of an external or an internal thing? It was internal at first. Um, and then now it's getting, getting a bit more external, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Mannerisms, mm-hmm. things like that. There's a lot of inner stuff too, like anger. Mm-hmm. I have a deep rage, which I'm sure you can tell just oh, by yeah. the way I talk. There's a deep rage. Oh, yeah. inside of me. I don't even know where it came from specifically you know what I mean there's, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities for it to come about in my life mm-hmm. but fucking yeah it's like this deep rage like you see a hole in the wall right here it's fucking did you do that I did that oh Joey yeah <laughs> oh, fucking clients that's all I gotta say uh, at my other job uh, at my other job uh, makes sense but I'm gonna patch it whatever but that's actually the first time I've ever put a hole in a wall but hmm. yeah yeah deep rage yeah. So I am zenning. zenning. I am taking Wing Chun Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Not only Wing Chun Kung Fu, but the softest style of Wing Chun Kung Fu you can mm-hmm. take, which is Moi Yat mm-hmm. Wing Chun Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, I mean that's a that's a good way to work on like the anger. It's like try to put it into a perspective. I mean, there's one way to 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 sort of act it out and and get it out and 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 think about it and do it. So. It's definitely a way of, of going about it. I mean, maintaining your temper after you get punched in the face is a really good skill yes. to learn. And after that, a lot of times people can do something or say something, and you're like, do you really think this is as bad as me getting punched in the face? Because mm-hmm. right now this is petty, and I don't have time for it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different perspective. It's a good perspective. Yeah. It's a- <laughs> Uh, which makes you seem like a sociopath you know like you know there's sometimes where there, there's a more I hate to use the word evolved but a personality where like a person that learns a lot you mm-hmm. know from the world around them mm-hmm. and they start to grow mm-hmm. more so than say the people around them or something and this is applicable to almost every scenario mm-hmm. um, not just mine or yours or yours fucker listening um, <laughs> I talk shit to them all the time fuck oh me. yeah yeah uh, They're listening to you. They, yeah, they exactly. really aren't. Exactly. Like, this is my fucking time. Okay. No. <laughs> Fuck it. My point does not matter. I'm going to look at my paper. All right. We, oh, you have a paper. That's right. We, we, I think you got like one line in and then we started talking about other shit. Well, we've already hit, we've already hit a good bit of it. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, you are uh, not from the South. I'm not from the South. AKA carpetbagger. That's what I wrote next to it. <laughs> I love that term. All right. I feel like it's somebody who's literally got like a carpet cape on. <laughs> and that's all I see in my head. Carpet like... bagger man. <laughs> Underwear on his head. Perfect. Done. It's true. No, I grew up in Jersey. Uh, like literally uh, within spitting distance of Manhattan. Mm. I could see the, the Twin Towers and the whole New York skyline from the bat my backyard. Like Hoboken? Uh same county i was in lindhurst which mm. is next to east rutherford which is the meadowlands okay so giant stadium where the nets play my family has season tickets to the giants that are still in the family like we were deep in jersey from my italian mother's side she was uh the second generation italian american but only because my grandfather was the first 
a person in his family of six brothers and sisters that was born in America. All of his older brothers and sisters were all born in Italy and came over on Ellis Island mm. in like the early 1900s. So that they were deep in the, the whole Jersey aspect. Like my grandfather owned both houses on Mountain Way where we lived. It was, I mean, I liked Jersey. I liked Jersey a lot, but it's a very densely packed area. I could walk to my elementary school. I could walk to my high school. Right. It was my entire town was a square mile large. <laughs> That's it. But there were more people in that square mile than there are in Tallahassee. Right, right, right. So, like, there was a lot of fucking people there. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I grew up in a relatively sheltered area. Uh, I knew everybody on my block. We Every one of the families was kind of somewhat connected to ours in some way. Like A lot of Italians. A lot of Italians. A lot of Italians. So many Italians. I didn't realize there was other species of humans besides Italian until I was already a man. (laughs) But uh, then I moved down to the east coast of Florida in middle school, which was a complete change. I would imagine. Yeah. Basically a retirement village, but I guess most half of Florida is. I don't see the differences, I guess, now as easily. I've grown up in both environments, so like I don't quite see the differences anymore they all just look like people to me mm. but i feel like the, the 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 one thing that i i i can pull from it all is that people will try to act in what they think are their best interests and so they they put on a front like everybody puts on a front and identifying like what that mask is what that front is is the first step to getting to know somebody mm, yes indeed yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah before you can look at the face beneath the mask you have to understand the mask and then you have to ask the question why are you wearing that mask right but not only that you have to be able to accept the fact that because this person is wearing the mask they might get rid of the mask but it's going to be a very long time before they get rid of the mask obviously because they're still wearing the mask Mm -hmm. can you deal with the features of that mask Mm -hmm. because that mask is not going away right not anytime soon no no it might lessen later later as time goes on i mean or it might change it depends to you to that person sure but that person has that mask for a reason and they're still going to use that mask on other people that mask is not going to go away right completely Right. And I mean, the, some people do change. Some people can put down their masks. Some people can can move beyond that. But that's not the norm. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Totally agree with that. Like, the, the, the problem... I hold my audience to a higher caliber. <laughs> okay? So, uh, 9 millimeter, or are we going higher caliber than that? <laughs> we'll just stick with 9 millimeter. Most of the 20 people listening to this probably don't have a bulletproof vest anyway. Yeah. They're probably just sitting around getting stoned and doing nothing with their life. Like we're doing right now. I mean, I'm an advocate for lazy justice. I feel like there, we need a lot more lazy in our lives. Because like the, the this hustle culture, this everybody's got to be doing something. Mm. This I think, But I think we already have enough lazy in our life. We need more calm production. You know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. like overtly like fuck this is just got to be done mm-hmm. this is just got to be done more like you know what it'd be a really good idea if this was done and you just slowly work toward the, these these visions these goals you know chugging along instead of just trying to race through it and it, it's a it's a nice middle ground yeah because we already have enough laziness i mean like there's plenty of people who sit around for a 
at least five hours a day with a full-time job watch TV. Sure. Four hours. Sure. You know what I mean? That's lazy. That's just, I mean, which is, you need every now and then. Mm -hmm. Five hours is a little much for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll probably go like 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I mean, there definitely has to be a balance between activity and non-activity. I think the problem that I see, or at least is, is, is a lot more in this modern society, is that the balance of how much we're having activity is leaned heavily into work. And we don't have that activity outside of work. So when we're outside of work, we just have non-activity. And we mm. have no actual beneficial non-activity. I mean, I, I get home. I don't want to fucking do anything. I don't want to clean my house. I don't want to do it. I want to lay down because even if I don't have a lot of work to do, just being in that work mode for eight to nine hours, right. it, it does a toll on you. But I think in that non-activity time, there's space at least like an hour. And it's my own opinion, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there, there's at least an hour a day to go like whatever this thing that I really, really, really love mm-hmm. and I've had in my mind forever and I daydream about sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, an hour a day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's, that doesn't feel like work sometimes. Yeah. Because you're, do, you're doing a thing for a purpose to mm-hmm. an end in a way. I mean, I, I think that's fantastic. I think that's a great way to do it if you can do it. I know I struggle with that because I know everybody struggles with it, but like I have difficulties focusing. It's Mm. so difficult to focus on conversations on anything. Uh, And like, sometimes it's like you got to have that first initial get up and, and decide to do it, that external spark before anything internal will will kindle. And that's not even the funny thing is that spark is not even energy related. Like the amount of energy that you have, Mm -hmm. because you can still, it's the same decision as when you're tired as when you're not tired, Mm -hmm. whether you're going to get up to go do something Mm -hmm. still it's same exact fucking decision. So you just, yeah, just got to fucking make it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I don't make it all the time. I don't make the right decision. No, but, but you gotta like as long as you keep trying to make decisions. I think that's. I mean, that's in a for personal goals. I think that's the only good way to do it. If you're forcing personal goals, you're not actually learning anything. I mean, well, sometimes you are. But there's a mm, there's a middle ground there. Yeah, because you kind of do have to not force yourself, but discipline yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you know what is good for your life and the good things that you want. Mm-hmm. And that is your treat, that's your prize. Mm-hmm. And so you have to do work towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I didn't read the article, but I read the headline right. of this one article. So that you're highly informed. Yes, yeah, so informed. <laughs> right. But it, it, it made the argument in the headline, we don't seek happiness, we seek satisfaction. That we'll go through situations that make us unhappy mm. if at the end goal will make us satisfied. Yes. Well, the person that breaks out of the cycle mm-hmm. does. Yes. But the person who spends much of their time, say, doing a job that they like, mm-hmm. they don't love, mm-hmm. they like, mm-hmm. and then outside of work, they don't really do nothing for the thing that they love, mm-hmm. then, that's, then that's definitely more of a... Oh, I'm losing it. <laughs> there it goes. Like a balance? Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's the middle ground. It's the balance. It's that working... I, I think a lot of those people choose happiness mm-hmm. over satisfaction mm-hmm. because they're not satisfied. 
Obviously. True. That's why they cheat on their spouses and that's why they, you know, fucking hit their kids or whatever. It's mm-hmm. because they're not satisfied with their life and they think there's something better. It's just they're not putting any work toward it. Mm-hmm. They're bitter about it. They're, mm-hmm. And they're only bitter about themselves. They can't be bitter about the world because the world ain't doing shit to them as the, you know, the whole world in general. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not the whole world's not getting together and be like, we have to keep this person down. Sure, sure. You know? the, the, the world can be oppressive to everybody to an equal degree. It doesn't need to specifically can be. You. Yeah. 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 But as far as like singular, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And there's definitely like, that's, that's an argument for like black people are obviously more scrutinized in the law and everything, you know, from fucking, let's go ahead and agree on that. But as far as the singular person, like you're not getting any more, unless like a whole, like the Illuminati just suddenly has some sort of fucking vengeance against you that you're the, the reason why you're not succeeding to at least a moderate level is because you don't want to. It's because you don't want to do it. Sure. Sure. You know? Because there are like, some people where they the the FBI or the CIA is actually looking yeah. into them. They're like you've got Martin Well, why do you King. think I wanted to interview a lawyer or an attorney just in case they they bust in there in the podcast to try and stop my message, my rebel message to the world. Oh, you think I'm a good lawyer? <laughs> Shit. Damn. <laughs> Let me disabuse you of that notion. Right. <laughs> I mean, what, what what is a good lawyer versus a bad lawyer? Even I couldn't tell you the true answer to that question. Is it that they win? I mean, I don't think so because I think bad lawyers win all the time. Mm. I think good lawyers But he's technically lose. a good lawyer, just not a good lawyer. Yeah. I think that's yes. kind of the point. It's like, what's yeah. your definition? What is your metric for good? Mm. Is it the person who takes on the good fight? Even if he loses, is that a good lawyer? Is it the person who only takes the fights they know they can win? So they have an a hundred percent win rate. I mean, both of those are good lawyers in certain perspectives, but one of them wins a lot more than the other. And this naturally devolves into what is good and what is bad <laughs> in the universe. Does it exist? <laughs> Uh, and welcome to what being a lawyer is arguing about the definitions of words <laughs> when you really break it down you're just arguing about the definitions of words and you're using words as variables in mathematical equations of language law is just math word problems hmm I don't know it doesn't it, there's no solid equation yeah for it I mean, that's kind of like this, I, I would imagine, like, especially as a litigator, the, uh, the person that gets up in front of people, mm-hmm. that it's very similar to like a comedian or Absolutely. like a singer or an, uh, like an actor or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. You've got a stage mm-hmm. and you do your job on the stage. It definitely has also become a lot more of that when with how much lawyer centric media that we have. Mm, they always want to interview the lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, not only that, but I'm talking about like we have what? 15 lawyer TV shows in production every day. Right. Like the, which one's based on your life? Um, so far I, I want to be Boston legal, but I probably am a lot closer to parks and rec. Okay. <laughs> but no, litigator showtime. Sure. Because back in, I mean, back in the day and in a lot of ways they, they taught lawyers and, and like lawyers that I've spoken to, Litigators did not have a lot more showy performance. You had some exceptions. Alexander Hamilton was always a showy performer. Just extra. Exactly. Yeah. But, and, and definitely the showy performers probably did better. 
but there was a lot more formality. It was very bureaucratic. It was very right. by the books. And it still is. Like, it hasn't suddenly not become that. But the fact that we have a jury of our peers, peers are, 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 are influenced by media. And they're going to see the portrayals of lawyers and they're going to expect a certain type of lawyer portrayal. And the first right. thing a lawyer is going to tell them is this is not going to look like TV. Because the jury is the audience. The jury is the audience. Yeah. And the audience has certain expectations. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you learn about being a persuasive speaker is you have to know your audience. Should I know how story arcs work? I could be a lawyer. Yeah. You absolutely yeah. could be a litigator. Yeah. There you go. Like that's. And Do you that's, need a law degree to be a litigator? Yes. Damn it. And you could tell who they're gonna. Who you and your elitism. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the thing is you could tell who wanted to be a litigator even in law school because they had a certain force of personality, like they want to do it. And, and the the rough thing to tell a lot of those people, especially in law school, is that ten percent of lawyers are litigators, ninety percent do transactional work. Mm, right. Because the fact of the matter is, is that. 95 99 and I'm totally pulling these percentages out of my ass but mm -hmm. they're probably pretty close to reality you can't see it because it's not on film but he actually is pulling it out of yes, his ass literally. it's a piece of paper in a capsule oh damn it why are you giving away my secrets these are secret lawyer techniques that nobody's supposed to know but <laughs> it's like cheating for the test <laughs> hold on your honor <laughs> no no my, my personal favorite is I want to have Google Glass. I really want a Google Glass AR environment so I can have my notes at all times because right. it would make me invincible. But the problem Maybe is, is able that to search Google or for any information. I mean, on the spot. I mean, basically, that's uh, searching on the spot is not necessarily the best thing to do because while you can do that if you are completely unprepared, you should not be unprepared. Mm -hmm. You should be to a certain degree prepared. So you have a narrative. You've got your that notes. you kind of stick to. I mean, yes. At the, at, at the end of the day, it's more like a play. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. you, you know sort of what the story beats are going to be. And there's, at certain points, there's going to be improv. And you're going to have to roll with the punches. Because you're working with three people who prepared separately, but all for the same case. You've mm -hmm. got the judge, you've got opposing counsel, and you got yourself. And it's an intricate dance of formalities that lead to improv moments. And you're going to have to speak pretty much in the moment. You everybody knows somebody who's going to be reading off a script and the last thing you want to be doing is reading off a script right. in front of other people yeah indeed as you said there's an expectation of mm -hmm. that yeah yeah that's why i just work it into my comedy shows i don't know if lawyers could do that work it into a little comedy thing like ha, ha, ha. some try <laughs> whether they succeed or not i mean it really depends but i mean that's the thing is if you can get a jury to laugh if you can get a jury to smile, if you can get a jury to follow you, that's what good lawyers can do. No matter what they're saying, if they can make it engaging, they win. You just gave me a phenomenal idea. What's that? And which really sucks because now I have to start a new project. You're but, welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Question mark? <laughs> uh, uh, literally just get a bunch of comedians together and just start a show about lawyers and just get some extras, just a real simple set and just make all the comedians. It'd be like, like a night court sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, kind of in a way. It, it really could be like a little improv theater setup. Yeah. You've got exactly. a, a small amount of uh, guidelines. Like you've got to do X, you got to do Y, you do Z, but then you have these opportunities for improv. Right. And you just say, here are the facts of the case. Mm -hmm. 
and joke about it, try to plead your case while joking. Oh yeah. And, and then have an actual jury. And and you can <laughs> you can totally mine for for cases that are hilarious, or you can always totally pull up the because uh, there's a lot of lawyer competitions, uh, uh, mock trials, and they have fact lists that are sometimes pulled from reality, sometimes there's, pulled from imagination. There's contest. Oh yeah, there's lawyer contests. There's mock trials. There's mock. Uh, there. Oh, wow, I'm totally. There's mock trial. There's what is the big one? The one that everybody wanted to be a part of. Uh, I'm a, I'm a horrible lawyer. A battle to the death. I mean, basically, uh, moot court. That's what it was. So moot court is basically the appellate uh, version of lawyer competitions. And really, the the only people who participate in lawyer competitions are non lawyers. You have inter you have undergraduate undergraduate uh, legal teams. And they go through contests, and it's basically debate. Mm-hmm. because they really don't know law so they're really just debating on what they think it is and a lot of their their arguments are lo- arguments that are theoretical it's very rare that like at that level they'll make up their own arguments but some of them can and that's usually where some of the best ones are and then they'll mm-hmm. go to law school and then they've got trial team and moot court there's also kind of law trial review trial team oh yeah the oh, fucking yeah. sport oh it is for some people. My school was really strong in both trial team and moot court. The thing that's protecting some people from whether they're innocent or guilty, whether they're going to go to the electric cha- gas chamber now, probably, uh, is a sport. I mean... <laughs> that's great. I mean, it always has been. I mean, what, um, what, was, what was the Coliseums? Yeah, yeah, no, I I think it's absurd and great. Yeah, uh, yeah, it it encapsulates humanity. Yeah, but I mean everything that we have taken from from sport is just one level below war, and Absolutely. some people treat it as seriously as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why the Olympics became like a big international thing was because they were like, all right, we need a little teamwork here, all get together and just. We can mock war against each other one-on-one on some sports. Nobody dies. Mm-hmm. We can get it all out. Make sport, not war. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it's become. The problem is is when it then gets bounced backwards because there's some level of acceptability in sport that should not be allowed in war. Like, it shouldn't be enjoyable. Like, yeah. you shouldn't have quota systems to take people out. Now, granted, you shouldn't have that in sports either. Right. Certain points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and it's... How many did you get today? Oh, I only got two points. Oh, I got 20 <sighs> points today, dog. Four of them? Well, technically four of them were kids. So I guess that's only two because they're point five. Um, God, I hate this new scoring system. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Why does it reflect reality so much? It's horrible. Right. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> no, because you've got two different types of scoring systems. You've got scoring systems which are only positive points. So no matter what you do, it's always a positive. Then you've got scoring systems where if you get the answer wrong, there's negative points and it brings it down. So sometimes not answering the question is better than trying to guess. Mm. So that's how that's how the LSAT is. It's actually better if you don't know the answer to not guess because wrong answers deduct points. Right, whereas non-answers do not deduct points, they just don't count towards the points. Exactly. Huh. 
Okay. Noted for everybody out there. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. I doubt there's any fucking people going to be a lawyer listening to this. <laughs> I'm sure they've I'll studied say... the LSAT if they're if they want to be a lawyer. It's it's a very it's a very specific test, and honestly, it's one that in kind of it like you can kind of game it because it's a game. Mm-hmm. Like if you really break down a lot of things in reality, they're all just small little games that we've set up. Yeah, you can hack games. people's systems easy. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. If you know the mini game, you can be good at the mini game without actually having the skills that sh- you should have underneath it. Mm-hmm. But then again, if you can hack the mini game, doesn't that mean you have the skills that you need? It's it gets I don't know a little bit dicey when you really like think about it in that level. Yeah, because like you've got to fake those. it till you make it, and then at some point you just are it. Right, but are you just it? Fake it at that point. You got imposter syndrome. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I fucking despise imposter syndrome. (laughs) I'm having it right now. Of course. This is all the time. It's just a consistent thing. You're not actually a podcaster. No, no. I'm just some guy (laughs) sitting at a microphone thinking that everyone's going to hate everything that he says because he's just not an authority (laughs) on anything. Why should people listen to you? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Thanks for that. Lifting me up. (laughs) Lifting me up. No, but I mean, I think you have to have those questions in your head because a challenge uses you to move forward and push forward more. Because if you're not thinking about those things, if you already think you are that and you're not that, it's Mm -hmm. worse. Right. Because you stop. Exactly. Yeah. And if you do stop, if you're not on the top of the game, then you're you're not worth anything. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be keep pushing. Even if it's a slow push. Like, I, I I think the gradual method is probably way better because it's a way that gets you there. But I also believe that exponential effort is the way you should go. Mm-hmm. It sh- you should start small, but you need to slowly build up a greater amount of effort until you can snowball it into that. Ex- like, Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally don't do the slow method. Mm-hmm. Do the gradual. I just recommend that to people who are having trouble getting into it. <laughs> I do the like four hours of just different things. Like either I'll switch from writing jokes for 45 minutes to mm-hmm. writing a blog post to writing an article for work or to writing this. And that's like four or five hours. And that's like non-work. Mm-hmm. I've already done eight hours worth of work. Mm. And then I got like the four-ish hours <laughs> that I spend at night. Yeah. I mean, well, it's just, it, it's just become so much habit that I force myself to do this over and over and over and over again that it becomes natural and when it becomes more natural to just do it there's less energy expenditure in actually doing it because mm-hmm. the energy expenditure in doing things that are non-physical you know what I mean like a writing or anything like that the energy expenditure is your resistance mm-hmm. to it hmm. your own voice because hmm. you think you know you might think your own voice is stupid you might think it's wrong you might think people aren't going to listen you might think whatever but a lot of people are catching they have a, they have this this block right there and that block actually takes up more energy than doing the thing. Hmm. Releasing those thoughts, I guess. Damn, that is, that is fucking deep. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I like that. Yeah, and I, I, you, you, know, you know why I think why? Because that's always hammered down. Mm-hmm. Even, a, even in a regular group of people, let's just say, uh, I'm going to mention the Kava Bar on this fucking sure. podcast for like the 20th time. <laughs> and there's only 17 episodes. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we're up there, right? And mm-hmm. there's just sometimes, like, 
they'll do something that's weird. Mm-hmm. Everybody does something that's weird that's up there. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of people just go, oh, you're weird. You know, and do that little weird <laughs> moment. It's like, fucking, you shit your pants the other day. Like, is it, what? You're calling me weird because I laughed weird because I'm high or something? Like, oh, it's that pressure. It's that stray, mm-hmm. stray nail gets hammered down. It's not mm-hmm. as bad as saying like China or, you know, North Korea. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely still existent in our culture. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why people got burned as witches. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't because they really thought they were that dangerous. They, they thought, like, as far as violence-wise, they thought they were dangerous as far as they're going to fuck up the status quo. Mm-hmm. They're going to break the community. Yeah. yeah. And now you've got chaos. And mm-hmm. now you have to build another solid community. Mm-hmm. And we have to stick with this uh, static. There is a strong aversion toward chaos in everything we do. I mean, it makes sense. We we want an order because the chaos was always was what was that caused the nomad city. It created all the destruction. Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, to a certain degree, we need a some set of order, just so that we could all kind of at least agree on some things. Right. But I mean, there. This is one of the things that I I kind of think about a lot is like. Sh- have we gone too far on the side of order? Do mm. we need a little bit more chaos than we have in the system? Have we made it too concrete so that nothing can move? The The primary decision of that, the way the culture is deciding, I think the entire world's kind of getting more towards the safety and the, the order, mm-hmm. is based on how we value individual life. Not what at what level we do, but how we view it. Mm-hmm. Because if, like in America, we value life over technically, I mean, we, we like to say we do, but we value life over a lot of other things, mm-hmm. like individualism, you mm-hmm. know, that one life. Mm-hmm. So if, say, you know, uh, like, a, like 20 students die in a school shooting, mm-hmm. I mean, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. a terrible thing and it shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. But it's not a thing you should halt the whole country over. You know what I mean? It's it's something that should definitely be addressed and go like, hey, we need to talk about we need to talk about guns, we need to talk about all this other stuff in legislature and maybe philosophy wise, but talking about the tragedy of it for so long mm-hmm. just gives us PTSD. Cause you just see it and it's just repeated over and over and over for lengths of time. And you're like, Dude, okay, I understand. I fully get mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened. I know people died. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be reminded of it every time I walk by a TV. That's fair, but let's unpack this for a second. Because the one school shooting is, is, is bad enough. But if we've got a pattern of school shootings, I think that the individual situations yes we might not need to talk about them over and over and over we Mm. don't need to analyze columbine again we've analyzed columbine enough times at the same time what have we actually done and learned from that what have we well nothing because i think we had a more emotional response than anything and that's my problem with it Mm -hmm. is that we had a very emotional response Mm -hmm. to the the loss of life okay and that's necessary when you want to continue on to whatever your decision is going to be but you also have to think about it. What are the logical steps that we can do? Okay, so now whose responsibility is it to make those logical next steps? I think as 
in the short term, it's definitely the uh, school system, the local school system. Okay. To figure out what they can do in okay. the future, whatever decision they make, I don't know. So practical, tactical. Out. Practical, tactical, and then you also there also has to be just a, just a general conversation going on. Okay. About not necessarily directly geared towards gun control. But it's, it's a conversation we should have. Okay. No doubt. I'm not 100% on either side on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it, it, the whole thing hinges on that mm-hmm. right now. That's the whole argument mm-hmm. is guns. And it's like, well, the guns have been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. What hasn't been around for a very long time was school shootings. So how, how do we approach this in a way that you look at the gun control as well? And be mm-hmm. like, maybe we could use some red flag flaws or whatever, you know, do these other things. But on the other hand, there's a lot of structural damage that needs to be repaired in in kids growing up. Yeah, and I think that I mean, I, there there is a multi phase approach because let's let's look at it logically for a second. We didn't have a lot of school shootings before Columbine, and I think we can look at probably three major things that changed prior to Columbine that made Columbine a possibility. Mm-hmm. First one is just the the caliber of guns that were in existence. Like there we have had handguns, we've had semi-automatic, we've had automatic handguns for a long time, but the the availability of them really started increasing. Yeah, but most most school shootings are handguns. The, the Columbine was different. Sure. But most school shootings are handguns. Sure. So, but the the, like the availability of guns was very low even amongst the, 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 the citizenry. Because there, there was not a lot of guns in American homes. I'm not, I don't want to say like prior to the 90s, but mm-hmm. prior to World War I, World War II, Vietnam, mm-hmm. there was not as many guns in homes right. prior to those areas. We get into major wars, guns become a lot more, more available in the culture, and now we have this this eventual tipping point of we have enough guns in the system that it's inevitable that a school shooting will occur. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think just because of an oversaturation of weapons that it's just going to naturally happen. Well, I think that's one of the, the factors, and there's right. multiple factors, but that is without an oversaturation of guns, it doesn't mm-hmm. happen. I don't think. I mean, that it still could have happened. I mean, he, he, it wasn't the guns itself. It was the kid. I think he would have stabbed somebody. I think he would have, you know, like he definitely would have killed someone. Well, he would have killed somebody, but yeah. it wouldn't have been a school shooting if the guns aren't there. I'm not saying that taking out the guns is the right choice. I'm right. just positing the 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 one of the factors is there has to be an availability of guns before a school shooting could occur. I'm not saying taking away the availability of guns is the way we solve that problem. I think that. We need to look at the other factors as well. Right, right. I think we just need to to what's the word I'm looking for? We need to establish that gun availability is one of the factors. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. other factors, and I think probably the the biggest one is mental health. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the biggest issues that we have is that we don't have a healthcare system that even looks at mental health. No, it's not. It's because people ain't tightening their bootstraps. Yes, absolutely. And your boots keep falling off if you don't tighten them. Mm-hmm. And then you can't work. Mm-hmm. And you don't get anything done. Mm-hmm. And that's how <laughs> I see it. I mean, we, we've got no... We've barely got health care. And, and it doesn't cover mental health in any level. 
And so like, and, and that's not just a, a healthcare issue, but it's also kind of a little bit of a legal issue because there is a legal case that made it so that insane asylums don't exist anymore. Right. The, the, and probably for good reason, because we were just throwing people with mental health issues into a house without real regard for giving them any, it was a permanent uh, solution. It was them. a permanent yeah. solution. But the problem is, is that if you look at the, the, the metrics now, we didn't solve that solution by by getting rid of mental health uh, asylums. All that happened is those same people just went to normal jail now. Yeah. Because where are you going to put them? if they Or if they, homeless. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's not, we didn't solve the problem by getting rid of mental health asylums. Just like we can't solve the, the, the problem of school shooting by just getting rid of the guns. Right. We need to actually address the situation and i think a good point to look into sort of both of these issues is looking at like somewhere like switzerland which has high gun ownership high gun availability but doesn't have the same issues with school shootings because they have don't they have man- mandatory military they have mandatory military they have mandatory registration they, they there is a, a an overarching system for gun ownership. Yeah, but I think mandatory mandatory military service plays a big part in that. I mean, because being helps. around guns and knowing guns before you use a gun on an actual person is a different story from dreaming about guns, kind of mm. getting a gun and then using the gun. Agreed. Agreed. And that's and that's the the the, the availability argument. Mm-hmm. Like I think that availability of guns is too great. I don't think we need to be taking away everybody's guns. I don't think Anybody who's really looking at this sector says taking away everybody's guns is a solution, but reducing the availability to minors, reducing the availability to people who have mental health issues, having some sort of registration system so when a gun is used in a crime, we can identify who owned that gun. Like, And, and I know that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that people with guns are worried about is if you register the gun, oh no. But, but I mean, at the end of the day... That's only an issue if you're doing a crime with a gun. Isn't that the, the argument? If you're not going to do a crime... No, that's not necessarily the issue. That's like saying the government should be able to look at everything on your computer mm-hmm. at any time it wants mm-hmm. because you're not doing anything wrong, right? Agreed. And I think that's a bad argument. Yeah. And I think that's a bad argument with guns, too. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, every single car is licensed and registered. You can't get into a car accident without knowing who owned that car. Why are we have a higher standard for ownership of a car than we do for ownership of a gun? The only purpose of a gun is violence. At least cars have other purposes other than violence. The primary argument, I believe, that comes from the right, which has some stance, but you know, it stands by itself. It stands by itself a little bit, but not at the same time, is the fact that if Everyone with a gun, and most people who own guns are law-abiding citizens, you know, and, and just to have their gun for defense or hunting mm-hmm. or just go and shoot out in the backyard, whatever the fuck they want to do with it. They believe that any that if you have a system of everyone with weapons and you know exactly where everyone is and owns what and exactly how much, where they live, all this other stuff, then at any time, if a tyrannical government, tyrannical party or government were to take over they would know exactly where to go first. That's their argument. Which, from a traditional American standpoint of fuck you government, you're not getting up in my shit, makes sense. That makes sense, but I think that argument ended and 
any viability once nuclear weapons hit the scene. Oh, no, they wouldn't nuke guerrillas. They wouldn't nuke guerrilla warfare. No, but, but what I'm saying is that, like, I say nuclear weapons, but what I really mean is nucleics. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that we have such an advanced military, that, and we, frankly, Facebook has given away more information. Like, they know that if they needed to find out who owned the guns, they could. They don't need a registration system to do that. That we could figure out with a pretty good margin for error, pretty low margin for error, margin for error, everybody who could potentially be an enemy combatant in this in this nation. Right. I don't think we have done that. I don't think we should do that. But to say that we couldn't do that, to say that the, the NSA couldn't do that, to say that we haven't given that up of our own free will on Facebook and Instagram, I think is is ignoring the fact that it kind of already exists in some manner. It exists in some manner, but not very specifically in a direct manner. Sure. Yeah. But that failure to put it in direct manner has allowed for a sloppiness in the system. Like, we can't even start with certain things that would directly help the situation until we had a foundation Right. That we could use to even support it. I yeah. mean, red flag laws are an issue, but like, what is the 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 main understanding of red flag law? Like the we think there there's a reasonable belief that somebody might be a, a threat. Mm-hmm. So the red flag law allows them not to 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 put them in jail, but simply to seize their weapons while a process takes place so that they can determine whether that person actually is a threat. Mm-hmm. And so it's a seizure of pub property in the event that they could be, it's effectively a, a, a lawsuit against the property. But we have that already. We have that in every sense of the matter. You get an ankle monitor, you get put on uh, mm-hmm. bail before you're actually convicted of a crime. Like they can pull and they can hold you in jail if they think you're a, a risk, a significant enough risk until your trial. Or if they just don't like you. Yeah. You haven't been convicted of a crime, but you can spend years in jail. That already exists. That's bullshit. And we already have in rem jurisdiction over drug profits or in RICO actions. They can seize your car, seize your cash, right, freeze but your account. Extending that that tendril of control a little more is not a good thing why is guns the 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 red line though because and i sort of believe this is a don't i'm, I'm mm-hmm. flip-floppy mm-hmm. on it just because i like to think about it and i'm not actually there's no rebellion or no fucking what, what's what's the fucking thing insurrection or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck it is i'm not planning anything mm-hmm. not yet <laughs> no uh i'm not planning fucking planning anything but the what was, what was the fucking question again? Why is guns... guns are, yeah, gun, guns are the final line that won't be crossed by a lot of people. And I grew up in the South, out mm-hmm. in the country and everything. We had guns. Mm-hmm. Because most people who live in rural areas and have guns don't like the government. Mm-hmm. They just don't like the federal government. They're not a fan. They don't deal with it on an everyday basis, at least not directly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they hate it, and they deal with their local government and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And what a lot of them see as a snowballing mm. effect is that if this starts getting passed then this starts getting passed then this starts sure, getting they passed have the, this starts getting passed the slippery slope argument the, right 
But what is the origin of that distaste for the government? What is the origin? Why do they hate the government? Do they hate every government? Do they only hate the governments they, that are... They hate anyone who's trying to take more control over their life from that traditional American standpoint of like King George. But King George was taxation without representation. We have a representative to uh, some degree. That's it. It's kind of iffy. I mean, I definitely am 100% supportive of expanding the House of Representatives, the federal House of Representatives, beyond 435 representatives. Back in the day, what, a one represent represented, what, 10,000 people? Now it's something close to 800,000? Right. That's impossible. It's absurd. Yeah. There's, there's no actual representation at that level. And so you've got to go to a more local level to get that representation. But local politics are even worse. It's even more of a, a dog and pony show because they're all working to get into the federal level. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a game. And it's not a game that any citizen, any individual wins. You're already completely and utterly controlled by the government, whether it's the police, whether it's the administrative state. But I mean, can you blame them for fighting for something? Like, whatever, what, whatever, any of those reasons that they believe, if it's, let's just say, someone who thinks that if the government gets too much control, which it already has, then it's going to become a fucking dictator state, possibly corporatocracy, um, all of these things, then if you're trying to prevent that from happening and you're fighting it by not giving up your guns, how would you view that? I think that there's there's kind of two ways to answer that. And I think it's, can I blame the impulse for wanting to have a, let's let's name it for what it is, a better world? I can't blame that impulse. Absolutely not. I think that impulse is a good impulse. I think, though, if you apply that impulse incorrectly, uh, that you create more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And I think that the gun argument is is kind of one of those red herring arguments where just focusing on that to the 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 loss of everything else is evil in its own way. Because do I think that owning a gun is a bad thing? No. Do mm -hmm. I think responsible gun ownership should be policed to a significant degree? No. I, I well, you know the the primary thing that would stop the spread of guns to hands to people who didn't buy them legally is to have better security in neighborhoods and police to prevent them from being stolen from neighborhoods, from, from houses. Cause that's where most of those guns come from. Mm -hmm. Cause people break in, they steal a couple of handguns from somebody and then they sell those on the street and then they get used, filed down, whatever. So that comes into a question of crime. And, and I think it's a very philosophical question of, do we need a strong police force to prevent crime or do we look at the factors underlying why criminals commit crimes? Now there is going to always be a subset of criminals mm. that are going to commit crime regardless. Right. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the, and I'm going to say majority, even though I can't put a percentage on it, the majority of criminals who do crime, not because they want to do crime, but because they are in a situation where that is the most viable option to, for survival. And I think we would be better served putting resources toward making cr the, the criminals who don't actually want to commit crime but are forced into that situation, giving them better opportunities. Yeah, 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 definitely. But at the same time, in the beginning, you can't lessen your police force yet. 
Sure. Because those crimes are still happening. They are still happening. But so you'd have to have, it would have to be adjustable. The more you think that you're progressing and actually helping criminals that, you know, not hardcore criminals, just mm-hmm. people that were just kind of just, just stuck in the game because mm-hmm. that's how they fed their kids. If we, if we see a certain progress of fixing that, then we, start, we can start thinning out the police force. But until then, like right now, considering we've had a lot of, a lot of police departments are getting defunded and then there's a lot of police quitting. And I'm not totally pro-police, mind you. Mm. But what I am pro is not having a, the, like more, a more degree of lawlessness than is necessary. And like murders have mm. gone up in New York City and uh, Portland and Oregon and stuff like that. And just crime has just generally gone up. I mean, I absolutely think we need a comprehensive support, uh, uh, approach. And I think the reason, I mean, looking at the reason why crime has gone up, I think has more to do with the, the fact that there is a large and untalked about depression amongst the world at this point. Because mm. they really, like, there, there is, hope is gone in so many ways. Whether it's climate change, whether it's the fact that capitalism is run amok, whether it's real estate prices are going up and home ownership is out of the hands of so many people, like what is there to hope for? What is the 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 twenty year, the fifty year thing that we're shooting for? Fuck hope. I you mean, don't, you don't fucking need hope. You need work. I think you need hope. No, fuck hope. I fuck think, hope is useless. It's I think hope is essential. Empty. It's empty. No, because it's not empty. Because hope is what drives you to be unhappy to get satisfied. Let's put it this way. Hope and work together get shit done. Work gets shit done. Maybe not as much as work and hope. Hope by itself gets nothing done. So it's like, I I view it as like, it has to be attached to something. But hope, but work without hope can be a negative because if you're just doing work without any purpose if you're just surviving you're not gaining anything you're not adding to the system well it's not as perfect as as putting hope and work together but it still adds to society as a whole so there's still a positive not necessarily individual positive but there is a positive. But then we have to look at the distribution of the produ- production of of that work. If that the if the if the wealth generated or the the benefit generated from that work is not returned to you in some way, it's just going to con- keep draining from you. It's going to be drained from you to somebody else. And I'm not saying like this is oh let's attack the people who are hoarding everything. Yeah, but we've already we've already you've had those jobs. I've had those jobs. Yeah, but we were able to get out of them in some way. Like, yeah, and, I, I don't. And most people do sooner or later get, do something ish mm-hmm. that is better than their original jobs or whatever. I'm not going to say whether it's high up or whatever, but they move closer. I think for our generation, that is for the most part the truth. But I'm not looking necessarily at our generation. I'm looking at the next generation and the generation after that. Fuck him, Jesus is coming back. <sighs> Some people think that, but. For those of us who don't put that on our W-2. Uh, I claim J-Dog as my <laughs> independent. Woo. Like, I don't want to have kids. Not because I don't think that would be an interesting thing to have a family, but because 
I really don't believe that my children are going to have any opportunity, even if they have a lot of benefits. Many generations of people have felt that. That's been a that's been a common mm. reason uh, to not have kids for thousands of years, probably more than that. Mm-hmm. There were just changes in the air, and you're not sure where the changes are going, and mm-hmm. then people are always expecting the worst. It's fair. Particularly, which is kind of understandable for kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're bringing a very vulnerable thing into the world that's mm-hmm. going to have to exist far longer than you will be here to be able to take care of them or mm-hmm. their whole life or whatever. So you're leaving them vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely a fear there. Yeah. But there's, I think there's always fear of like what's around the corner. Yeah. I mean, and you're not wrong. At the same time, I don't know. I haven't lived in one of those time eras, so I can't say they truly feel different. But this does feel different. The, 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 the fact that we have... I think it's just the COVID thing and the disconnect. I really don't think it's COVID. I feel like COVID in some ways helped flip it a little bit. I think COVID kind of pushed uh, a, 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 like forced a, a reevaluation in a lot of sectors that would not have been reevaluated absent COVID. Mm. I think that there are for all of the bad things that have happened because of COVID, and there are numerous, mm-hmm. there are a lot of beneficial things that have come out of it. Yeah. The fact that we were we shut down our economy for a year and there was no significant disruption in a lot of the productivity that occurred is telling. I think that a lot of work still got done during the pandemic that... Could have, would have, like, how do I put this? Despite going through so many things that kept us apart, there were so many things that showed that 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 showed that a lot of the things that we were doing post or pre-pandemic were unnecessary that we mm, didn't yeah. need to do. Yeah. And it's allowed a lot of people to see that perspective of maybe they needed something more mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to see absent COVID. Right. And it, 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 it really shows that like a lot of people were living in these cycles that were just stuck and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was no hope. And COVID kind of disrupted that. And it, it forced people to reexamine whether they were okay with this. Everybody had to meditate. Everybody had Everybody to was forced to meditate. With whether they wanted to or yeah, not. Exactly. And I'm interested to see what comes out of this post COVID as far as whether people will fight for hope. Well, there's gonna be a lot of drinking, there's gonna be a lot of fucking. Uh there's gonna be a lot of revelry. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's gonna be the first thing. And then I think that will turn to art. And I think that it'll turn to great art. And I think that great art will turn to hope. Or the great art will be a representation of the hope. That's the usual cycle. Maybe. But I think it also depends... I think it also depends on whether we're, we're able to make substantial changes to the way society is. Well, it's already kind of forced on us to do that, though. Because right now, I, I can guarantee you that a lot of those larger industries already just put in automation. They just went ahead and did it while everybody was gone. And they put in the automation, and by the time it was back up, there's going to be a lot of unemployed people. Yeah. 
a lot. There's going to be a lot of unemployed people and there's going to be a lot of, and I think that's going to be a trend that we're going to see for a long time because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is between AI and automation, a lot of work that is being done today does not need to be done tomorrow. And I think we haven't seen such a disruption in the, the workflow since we came out of the agricultural revolution when 90% of people's jobs had to do with agriculture. Mm-hmm. Now it's, what, less than 10% of all jobs are agri- agriculture-based? Like, that's the only thing we need to survive as a species. And now it's less than 10% of the jobs. So we've already got 90% of the economy built on things that don't technically need to be done to survive. Right. And now all of those things that don't need to be done to survive are going to be automated. Like, what's going to be the purpose of work? Right. Like, do we need to do jobs? Are we just doing service? And at that point, how many people can really just be in service positions until those are automated? Yep. Yep. And, And like, when you have that so much division in labor, how do you, how do you justify determining how somebody gets paid for that? Mm -hmm. Because right now we have minimum wage, but is that the answer is is the answer constantly government uh boosting the minimum wage is minimum wage the only lever that we have at our system or are we going to be willing to look at other levers other factors other things that we can do whether it's universal basic income because i mean that might be the future and that might be the only way to get out of certain bad futures I think if we're going to do UBI, I think there should be mandatory school. Like you, like not necessarily you ma- you are mandatory to go to engineering mm-hmm, school mm-hmm. or mandatory to go to whatever mm-hmm. agricultural college. Mm-hmm. It's that I think people should have to take a certain amount of credits a year and it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe four, four credits a year. I think that's fine as long as school's free. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I agree. You pay people yeah. and you make the schools free yeah. and everybody gets in at least a very minimum education. I mean, and then I, if you don't want to attend the school, then you don't get the UBI. The problem with tying UBI to certain requirements is that the bad actors will tie it to too many requirements and the good mm, actors won't. Right. And then sooner or later, those schools pretty much just become government run mills mills pretty much and and i think yeah. that's the problem when you put too many restrictions on a thing like ubi mm-hmm. if there is a lowest level that you have to do something for the bad actors will make it so that people don't do that like for instance let's look at the job benefits of florida we have a system technically in place that business owners are supposed to pay a certain business tax that money goes into unemployment and then people who are unemployed who were working and who been, who were eligible for the system would get uh, unemployment when they lost their job. Mm-hmm. And what happened? We had a bad actor, Rick Scott, go, okay, well, I'll just make it so that it's impossible for anybody to get unemployment. That way, the taxes go down on businesses because I can't repeal the system, but I can make it so broken that it doesn't pay out and so the taxes will go down mm-hmm. Woohoo! or what do we have with DeSantis he cuts the business tax by using a whole slush fund of COVID money like 
it's the, the, the problem we have is that we actually have solutions for a lot of the problems, but we have bad actors who are ignoring that so that they can get a personal benefit. Well, yeah, I mean, personal benefit to them, but also personal benefit to the business owners. It's for, a personal benefit to their political futures. I mean, but that also does help out the business owner as well. Sure. That's the only positive part of that. Sure. Is that it does actually help out the business owner who is actually running the business, who actually you know like pays people and, mm-hmm. and has to pay a bunch of other dog shit fucking taxes and whatever anyway. So I don't know if that's the fucking answer, or if it's not. But. The, the 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 problem with Florida is that we have a very regressive tax system. We have a a, a system that taxes consumption on a very regressive level. It doesn't have a very progressive taxes. We don't have a Income tax, for good or for bad, we don't have. That. I think for good, on that Maybe. personally. But the the thing is, is that it, once we determine that the best course of action, the best bang for our buck, will be a certain level of a social safety net, a certain level of services. Once we've made that collective decision, we need to strive to build that system because we know that the end goal of that system will be beneficial for everybody as a whole. Hmm. Figuring out how to exactly pay for that system is not going to be easy. But if we have bad actors who are constantly just breaking the system and then saying, hey, the system do- that's the reason the system doesn't work is because bad actors will break it. But they're being the bad actors that are breaking it every time. Like, that's disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. So, I don't I mean, I don't really know what the solution is, but I feel like the we can't even begin to get to the solution while we have bad actors who are constantly breaking the system to show it's broken. Yep. All right. When well, I just got lawyered. So, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, That's gosh. it. Let's call it. All right. Sounds nah, like we went through many different subjects. Yeah. Uh, do you any, uh, do you, I don't know if you have any projects you want to announce. Uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not doing anything on the, the, the project sector right now. Uh, I have a great job that I hope I don't get fired from anytime soon. Uh, even though I have opinions. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who in their hearts and in their minds are well-meaning. I think that there's very few people who go out, wake up and go, I'm going to go commit evil. I, I really don't think there are a lot of people who think that way. I think there are some, mm-hmm. but I don't think the vast majority of people think that way. And, and I think I kind of just want to leave it on if I can leave it on anything is go for it. Be more compassionate. Fuck you. Go fuck yourself. That's the end of the episode. (laughs) Goodbye.